It's time now for the Chapel Hour, coming to you from the campus of Bob Jones University. Following the introduction by Mr. Al Carper, our speaker will be Reverend Mike Reddick, Evangelist with International Baptist Missions in Singapore. The title of his message is, The Man That God Uses. The text is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 23. Our chapel speaker for today and tomorrow is Reverend Mike Reddick. Mike Reddick is an international evangelist and he preaches primarily in the Southeast Asian countries. From 1991 until 1998, he actually pastored in Singapore, so he knows the area whereof he speaks. And then the Lord led him into full-time evangelism. He's been in nearly every country in Southeast Asia, along with Australia, Africa, India, and Europe. Currently, he's serving as the president of the Student Movement for Christ International. It's an evangelistic campus ministry. And he's also co-founder and also the international director of Biblical Faith Baptist Missions in Myanmar. Mike and his wife, Lisa, have been co-laboring with International Baptist Missions for the past 17 years, and they've made their home in Singapore. I also had my heart knit to uh, Brother Mike Reddick as we were talking. I remembered how back when I was seven years old, I was led to Christ in Japan as a result of an evangelist visiting our church in Japan and serving there in Southeast Asia. So would you please give him your undivided attention and take notes as to what the Lord has led on his heart. Brother Mike. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be with you here this morning to share with you the Word of God. So turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. I'll be with you here both today and tomorrow, and we'll just see what the Lord places upon my heart for you here today. Trust that you came with a heart that is soft and sensitive to the things of God, and if you did, you'll be blessed for being here in the house of the Lord. Acts chapter 9 is our text, and we're going to look here this morning... At the first 23 verses, we will not read the passage, but we'll kind of move on down through this passage here as we look at the Word of God. You remember it was in A.D. 33 that a young Pharisee, highly educated and loaded with zeal, was traveling down that Damascus road. There he had one intention, that was to stamp out that church of Jesus Christ, that new sect called Christianity. His desire was literally to destroy the church. And as you know, as he was traveling down that Damascus road there, Saul of Tarsus was struck down by a bright light. And with that cry of conversion, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And when those words came back, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. There, Saul of Tarsus died. But rising there from the dust upon that Damascus road was Paul the Apostle. Now converted, consecrated, and commissioned. He turned his energy to the cause of Christ. And for the next 20 years, he traveled the Roman Empire, teaching and preaching Christ, building churches and discipling men. And that man, Paul the Apostle, has gone down in the annals of Christian history as being the greatest Christian who ever lived. Simply because he was a man that God was free to use. Some years ago, there were two men walking on the banks of a river in Dublin, Ireland. And one man said to the other man, he said, you know, the world is yet to see what God can do through one person that is fully dedicated to him. The younger man said, could you please repeat that? And so the older man did, this time with renewed emphasis. He said, the world is yet to see what God can do through one person that is fully dedicated to him. And there in that twilight hour, a young man by the name of D.L. Moody lifted his hands to heaven and he said, by God's grace, I will be that man. And as you well know, D.L. Moody went on to do a great work for God. 
And God used this man because D.L. Moody, like Paul the Apostle, placed himself in a position where he could be used by God. As you know that man, D.L. Moody, before there were public address systems, before there were cars and airplanes, he traveled, it is said, over one million miles, spoke to over 100 million people. It is said that he personally led to the Lord 750,000 souls. He would speak to audiences with his simple voice and his powerful lungs, sometimes to 10 to 20,000 people, addressing some 70,000 people every week. As you know, one newspaper reporter said that D.O. Moody emptied the gates of hell of over a million souls. He started Moody Bible Institute, and in its heyday, every one out of 18 missionaries were graduates from his institution. You see, friends, God used this man in a powerful way simply because here is a man that placed himself in a position where he could be used by God. And the fact is, God wants to use us. God wants to use you. God wants to use me today to advance the kingdom of God in our world. Maybe you're here today, maybe you come to this university because you want to be used by God. Maybe that is your heart's desire. But maybe you're not being used and you wonder why. Your desire is to be used by God. You know God wants to use you, but God's not using you and you wonder why. Maybe it's because you've not placed yourself in a position where you can be used by God. I want us to see this morning as we look at the example of this, the salvation of this man, Saul of Tarsus. And I want us to see why it is that God used this person, Saul of Tarsus, so we can apply these same principles to our life that we, like him, might be used to reach our world for God's glory in this day. The title of this message is very simply, The Man That God Uses. And the man that God uses is, first of all, a surrendered man. You know, in this passage, it is commonly believed that this man, Saul of Tarsus, was saved when he said in verse 5, Who art thou, Lord? And it is commonly believed that he was surrendered to that God when he cried out in verse 6, Lord, what do you want me to do? And friends, it is important to realize that one of the primary reasons that God used this man, Saul of Tarsus, is because he was a surrendered man. Do you remember how Paul introduced himself in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 and verse 1? He said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that Paul did not introduce himself with a string of his academic credentials. And you know, he could have. It has been said that Paul was a highly educated man, earning a degree in Jewish history as he sat under the feet of Gamaliel. It has said that he earned a, a degree in philosophy as he went to the University of Tarsus. In fact, it has been said by theologians that this man, Saul of Tarsus, had the equivalent of two earned PhDs. And yet it is interesting that he did not introduce himself as Reverend Dr. Paul the Apostle, Ph.D., Ph.D. Do you know why? Because that's not why God used him. Do you realize that God used him because he saw himself as a servant of Jesus Christ? He saw himself as a surrendered servant of the Lord. And as you well know, this word servant is that Greek word doulos, and from it we get that English word slave. And in Paul's day, a slave was a purchased possession. He was an individual who took his hands off his life and he placed his life in the hand of the master for the master to use. He's a man who gave up his rights. He lost the right to have his own will and his own purpose and his own plans for his own life. He lost the right to have his own dreams and his own desires fulfilled for his own life. He was a man that was surrendered now to his new master because, you see, a slave was a purchased possession. 
And yet when, when this man, Saul of Tarsus, called himself a servant of Jesus Christ, he had that very same idea in mind for himself. You see, there came a point in Paul's life where Paul took his hands off his life and he placed his life in the hands of the master for the master to use. There came a point where Paul recognized that he too was a purchased possession. And as a purchased possession, he realized he did not have the rights to guide and to govern his own life. And he gave up his own will and his own desires and his own dreams. And he came to the God of heaven and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Friends, you realize that's one of the primary reasons that God used this man. And may I say, that's the kind of person God uses. Do you realize there is no usability until we come to that point where we are willing to take our hands off our life and place our life into the hands of our master for our master to use? Because you see, God always uses a surrendered man. You realize that God desires that you and I would surrender to him? Absolutely. That is our Lord's desire. In fact, Paul told us in Romans 6 and verse 13, when he said, yield yourself to God. Yield means to present. It means to surrender. And what are we to surrender? We are to surrender ourselves. And it refers to the totality of your being. All that you are, all that you have, it is you giving to him your will, your desires, your dreams, and your hopes for your life. It is you taking your hands off your life and thus placing your life into the hands of the master for the master to use. Paul repeated that in Romans Chapter 12 and verse 1, remember when he said, I beseech thee therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or expected service. And that word beseech is a powerful word. It's a, it's a soft command. And it means that God is, is begging us. He's pleading us. He's imploring us. It's if God were upon bended knee. And there upon bended knee, he has your hand clasped in his hand. And there he is looking at you in the eyes and he's begging you, would you please yield and surrender yourself to me? You see, friends, God wants you and God wants all of you. I remember reading a story about two little girls that were running in the hall in their home. And the older girl outran the younger sister and she ran into her daddy's bedroom and there she jumped upon her daddy's back and she put her arms around her daddy. And she, in a kind of a teasing manner, looked back at her younger sister and she said, I have all of daddy. But the younger girl was not going to be outdone by the older sister. And so she ran into the bedroom, came around to the front of her father, jumped into his arms. And he there put his arms around that little girl. And she, likewise, in a teasing manner, looked over her daddy's shoulder into the eyes of her older sister. And she said, you might have all of daddy, but daddy has all of me. But you know, that's what our Heavenly Father wants. He wants all of you. You know why? Because that's the kind of person God uses. And may I say that God desires it because He deserves it? He desires because He deserves. And He deserves it because, you see, we too are a purchased possession. Paul put it this way in Romans 5 and verse 8 when he said, God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Question, why did Jesus die for you? You say, I know why he died. He died to save me from sin, death, and hell. And yes, that is true. But you see, he died not just to save you from sin, death, and hell, not just to give you a ticket to heaven and a fire escape from hell. But listen, he saved you that you might right now begin living for him. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, when he said that he died, that they which live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Friends, those are stirring words. He died that we might now 
would begin living for him. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, you are not your own. That's sobering to realize you're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body, which is his question. How do you glorify God in your body? You glorify God in your body by presenting your body to him. Because, you see, that's the kind of person God uses. I ask you this question. Have you come to the point in your life where you have taken your hands off your life and placed your life into the hands of the master for the master to use? Because, friends, if you desire to be used and you know that that's God's desire and he is not using you in any measurable way, I ask you, have you come... To the foot of the cross, there like this man, Saul of Tarsus, and looked up and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because you see, that's where usability begins. It begins with that choice that you make to surrender absolutely to your Savior. We've all heard the name Frances Havergal. She was saved in a very early age. At the age of four, she began to memorize scripture at the age of seven. She began to write poetry. Although she was born in a a Christian home, saved at an early age, she had no joy, no peace, no victory in her Christian life. She was a tremendous musician, a sought-after soloist and concert pianist. And as she moved into her 20s and 30s, still no victory in the Christian life. She felt that pull of the great crowds of London wanting her to perform. At the other hand, she felt the pull of the Holy Spirit calling her to a life of absolute surrender. At the age of 36, she was reading a little book entitled All for Jesus. And as she was reading this book, she recognized for the very first time in her life that it was God's desire that she would surrender absolutely to the Lord, giving to him every corner and every cubicle of her life. There at 36 years of age, she made that choice and she took her hands off her life and placed her life in the hands of the master for the master to use. And it wasn't long after that that she was going to be away with some friends for the weekend, and she realized for the first time that five of her friends were not even converted, and the other five, though converted, were not surrendered. And so she asked the God of heaven, Lord, would you give me the souls and the lives of each of my friends this weekend? And God heard her prayer. So moved by what God did in the life of her friends, the salvation of those five and the surrender of the other five, she wrote those great words of that great hymn of the faith, Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee, take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. And friends, may those words be our prayer here this morning. Because you see, that's the kind of person God uses. He uses, first of all, a surrendered man. May I say, number two, he uses then a supplicating man. This is clearly seen in verses 6 down to verse 16. You remember the story immediately after this man, Saul of Tarsus, was converted. He rises from the dust upon that Damascus road and there realizes that he's been temporarily struck blind. His two companions take him into the city of Damascus and there God speaks to the heart of a man by the name of Ananias. And we pick the story up here in verse 11 and notice it says, And the Lord said unto Ananias, he said, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, because behold, he prayeth. And friends, may I say another reason that God used this man, Saul of Tarsus, is because he was a praying man. Because that's the kind of people God uses. I believe that Paul became a praying man because immediately after his conversion, he recognized that having entered into the Christian life, he was not entering into a playground, but he was entering into a battleground. He recognized that he immediately entered into a battle. Why? Because remember, this man, Saul of Tarsus, was dead set and hell bent on stamping out that new sect called Christianity. 
And when he became a child of God, he realized that this was a battle, and it was a real battle, because was it not this man, Paul, that wrote those great words in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, when he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the rulers of the darkness of this age. Listen, he recognized that the battle that he was engaged in was not a human battle, was not a physical battle, but it was a spiritual battle. And friends, we are not fighting men, but we are fighting spiritual forces that energize those men. As a result, Paul took this battle to his knees. Because, you see, he recognized that this spiritual battle demanded spiritual means. Because, you remember, Paul said that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are not human, but they are to be mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. You see, he knew that if this battle that we find ourselves in, this battle that we're engaged in, this battle that is for the souls of men, he recognized that if we're going to be part of pushing back the gates of hell and advancing the kingdom of God, we need to take the battle to our knees. Was it not Jesus who reminded us with these words when he said, how can you... Enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless you first bind the strong man. Question, who is that strong man? Well, of course, that strong man is the devil himself. And the idea is, how is it that we can enter into this Satan's territory and set free those to whom he holds in captivity unless we come and bind that strong man? And friends, how can you bind that strong man apart from prayer? You see, friends, a man that God uses is a man who surrendered to the point where he's willing to take the battle to his knees. Can I ask you a question? How's your prayer life today? Because, you see, the man that God uses is a man that takes the battle to his knees because every single person God has ever used has been a praying man. Charles Spurgeon was a man that God used. As you well know, 30,000 people every week would come into, in and out of his church to listen to the Word of God preached. And a group of people, you remember, came to his church one day and they asked him, they said, Mr. Spurgeon, what's the secret to your spiritual success? And do you remember what he said? He said, and he took him down into the basement of his church. And there in the basement of his church, there were four to five hundred people there upon their knees praying. And he simply said, it is knee work. It is knee work. And as there, he was preaching the word of God, touching the hearts of men. There were four to five hundred people down in the basement of his church. They are touching the throne of God. No wonder God used him. Because, you see, that's the kind of person God uses. Years ago, it was that man of faith, George Mueller. Heard that Hudson Taylor of China in admission was going into the heart of China there to attack a particular city to spread the gospel. And so he wrote to Mr. Taylor these words. He says, Mr. Taylor, he says, I want you to know if you're going to capture that city for Jesus Christ, you need to go forward upon your knees. A few years later, Hudson Taylor heard that a man by the name of Jonathan Goldforth was going to attack a particular city in the north of China. And so he wrote him a note and he said, Mr. Goldforth, we at China Inland Mission have tried to establish a work there in that city for years. He said, I want you to know that it's the most anti-Christian settlement in all of China. If you're going to capture that city for Christ, you need to go forward on your knees. And he did. And eventually, God opened that door and became the strongest Christian settlement in all of China. A few years ago, my wife was doing some teaching in China. She was, my wife does a kind of a, a unique ministry in China. She lectures in universities, and through that, we are able to reach out and win souls to the Lord. And 
One of my heroes of the faith is Jonathan Goforth, and my wife knew about this church up in northern China that comes from this story, and so she wanted to visit it and take some pictures for me. And so she was up there looking at this church, and as she was just kind of admiring the building, it was a Thursday afternoon, and all of a sudden the doors of that church opened up. And coming out of that church were 1,000 people coming from a midday Bible study. And she sat there and watched them as tears were streaming down her cheeks as those people walked into the highways and the byways and the small lanes singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in their hearts to the Lord. Hey, listen, friends, here's a church. They are still thriving because, you see, a hundred years ago, a man went forward upon his knees. You know why? Because that's the kind of person God uses. God uses a praying man. I was a few years ago in the city of Jakarta in Indonesia holding a, a small revival meeting for a small national pastor, a small church. Church had about 25 people in it. And I often times when I'm in a, a city like that that I'm unfamiliar with, I ask the pastor, Pastor, is there a growing church in this town? And the pastor said to me, yes, there's a church downtown kind of like minded. They run about 2000 on Sunday morning. And I said, you know, it's interesting. Let's go talk to that pastor. I, I want to look at some of the transferable principles. And so we went to sat with, we sat with this pastor and I began to say to him, Pastor, you know, my friend has a church of 25. You have a church of 2,000. Why is your church growing and my friend's church is not growing? And we talked about it for a while and we couldn't come up with anything. He says, you know, my friend, I preach the word. I said, well, my friend preaches the word. He said, well, I preach expository messages. And I said, well, my friend, he preaches expository messages. And we couldn't really come up with anything, but, you know, we finished the meeting and we were kind of just taking a tour around his church and we came to one section that was a small hallway and he told us to be quiet as we walked through this hallway so we're kind of just tiptoeing along down this hallway and at the end I said to him because I heard some mumbling behind some closed doors in that hallway so I asked the pastor pastor why did we have to be quiet down that hallway and what was that mumbling that I heard behind those closed doors and the preacher said this he said well those are our prayer rooms I said well that's interesting tell me about it he says well uh those prayer rooms are open 24 hours a day. I said, well, that is interesting. He said, I said, are there, are there people in those rooms 24 hours a day? And he said, yes. There's not an hour that goes by that there's not somebody in there upon their knees seeking the power of God upon this work. And I looked at my friend and I said, that's the difference, friends, because God always uses a praying man. And if we want to be used by God, friends, it demands that we come to him and we take our hands off our life. And there we place our life in the hands of the master for the master to use. And we are surrendered to the point where we are willing to take the battle to our knees. Listen, you are in a battle. And if you want to be used by God to push back the gates of hell and to advance the kingdom of God, if you want to see your family and your friends and your relatives reach, hey, listen, you better be surrendered enough to take the battle to your knees. Thirdly is this. Not only does God use a surrendered man and a supplicating man, but he does use a spirit-filled man. Notice what happened in this story after Ananias had received his heavenly vision. We picked the story up in verse 17 and it says, And Ananias, he went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands upon him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way that thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the spirit. Friends, do you realize that every single person God has ever used has been a spirit filled man? Do you remember our Lord? Do you realize that everything that he did in his sojourn here upon earth, he did as a spirit-filled God-man. Friends, he didn't do it in the exercise of his own attributes. Hey, they were veiled. He did it in the power of the Spirit of God. And Luke sums up our Lord's life with these words found in Acts 10 and verse 38. Listen, it says, And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
And he went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. And friends, if our Lord did all that he did in his earthly work in the power of the Spirit of God, how much more do we need that same power upon our life? Do you realize that every single person God has ever used has been a spirit-filled man? Do you realize that these disciples could not begin their public ministry? Nor did they begin their public ministry until they too were filled with the Holy Spirit. It is interesting. These were educated men. I mean, they sat at the feet of our Lord. They went to a crash course on the things pertaining to the kingdom of God for 40 days, sitting at the feet of our Lord. They were educated men. They were experienced men. They knew how to do the work of the ministry. They knew how to lead a gospel meeting. They knew how to teach a Bible story. And these men alone had the message that the world desperately needed. And yet we would think they were ready. If they graduated here from Bob Jones and they had education and experience, they had a message, we'd say, Cole, you're ready. But not our Lord. You see, something was drastically missing in their life. Something was not there. They needed God's power upon their life. And so the Lord said, go tarry in Jerusalem. You realize it did not begin their public ministry until Acts 2 and verse 4 when the Bible says that they were filled with the Spirit. Because every person God has ever used and every person God will ever use, He'll use them because... They are depending upon the spirits of the living God. Do you remember when this early church was looking for some deacons? They chose seven men. You know why? Because they were full of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when this church in Jerusalem was looking for someone to lead that church in Antioch? They chose Barnabas. Why? The Bible says because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And remember, it was this same man, Paul the Apostle, who commanded us in Ephesians 5 and verse 18 when he said, Be filled with the Spirit. Can I ask you a question? Are you filled with the Spirit? Do you know it? You see, friends, that's the kind of person that God uses. Because do you realize today that everything that you do that is not done in the power of the Holy Spirit will be eternally fruitless for the glory of God? Jesus put it this way. You remember in John chapter 6, he said this. Jesus is a spirit who gives life. It's the flesh that profits absolutely nothing. Friends, everything that we do in the flesh profits nothing. Friends, that's why the Spirit of God lives within you. He's there not because He needed some place to live. He's there to enable you to do what you cannot do. Friends, He enables you to fulfill that great commission. He enables you to live a victorious and abundant life. He enables you to overcome the flesh, the devil, and the world. The Spirit of God lives within you. And you need to be under His influence and to be under His control. That's the Spirit-filled life. I read a pretty neat story here in Charles Spurgeon's book called Lectures to My Students. And Charles Spurgeon told the dream of an old Puritan preacher by the name of Thomas Boston. And Thomas Boston dreamt that one day he was walking down the street in his, in his town, in his village, and he noticed the devil was preaching the gospel upon the street corner. As he listened for a while, he said, you know, the devil must be a fundamentalist. Because he's telling everybody that he believes the Bible from cover to cover. And so Thomas Boston walked up and he began to listen for a while. And then he interrupted and he said, are you really the devil? And the devil looked at him and said, yes, I'm really the devil. And he said, why are you the devil preaching the gospel? And this is what he said. He said, because I have determined the best way to damn the souls of men is to preach the gospel of God without the anointing of God on the life. Charles Spurgeon said when he read those words, he trembled. And friends, so should we. 
Because you see, the kind of man that God uses is a man, a woman, who surrendered to the point where they're willing to take the battle to their knees. And then they recognize that if God is going to do anything in them and through them, that they must cast their dependence upon Him, that indwelling Christ, that living Spirit, and allow that Spirit to enable them to do what they can't do. Friends, you realize to be filled with the Spirit is no difficult task. We do not need to go to our upper room and there tarry. But it's a simple choice of faith where you transfer your dependence from your own enablement, your own power, your own wisdom. You cast your dependence upon God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Jesus put it this way in Luke 11, verse 13. He said, if you be an evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And I'll tell you what, in that passage, he's not asking for us to ask for the person of the Holy Spirit. No, the very moment you ask Christ to be your Savior, at that very moment, you are immediately and permanently indwelt with the Spirit of God. He's asking us to ask for his power, his function in our life. All you need to do is come to him in faith and ask. Aren't you glad of that? Just ask. The problem is we don't ask. The reason our lives are so powerless. But may I say God wants to use you. God wants to use you today as he used Paul the Apostle in his day. God wants to use you today as he used D.L. Moody. God wants to use you as used every great man and woman in the past. God wants to use you, but he waits for you to place yourself in a position where you can be used by God. Question, have you placed yourself in that position? Have you come to the point in your life where you have come to the foot of the cross and there, honestly and humbly before God, you said to him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Anything, Lord, not putting conditions upon that surrender. And then realizing, you know, the very moment you entered into the Christian life, you entered into a battle. And we need to take that battle to our knees. And friends, we need to begin right now developing our prayer life. And it's you and I casting our dependence upon that indwelling spirit to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm glad the spirit of God lives within me. I'm glad I don't have to stand up here before you today and try to preach the Word of God and the energy and the wisdom of Mike Reddick. But I can take God's living Word and depend upon God, the living Spirit, and ask Him to do what He can do alone, to take His inspiration and illumine this passage to your heart, and I can trust Him to do it. Friends, that's exciting. I can stand before a crowd of unsaved people this size somewhere in the world and I can preach the gospel. And I'm glad that I don't have to check my grammar. And I'm glad that I don't have to get everything grammatically correct. But God, the Spirit, will take it and speak the heart and open eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive. And we can see hundreds and yet thousands of people born again. Why? Because it is not about us. It is about Him. And that God wants to work through you. But you need to let Him. It's exciting to realize that God wants to cooperate with you in reaching this world. Isn't that exciting? He wants to cooperate with you, but you need to cooperate with Him. For all of us, it begins in the very same place. It begins with surrender. Are you surrendered absolutely to Him? Are you surrendered to the point where you're willing to take the battle to your knees? To make some sacrifices. By the way, usability demands some sacrifice. 
And we begin living a Spirit-filled life, allowing that indwelling Spirit to begin to use you and to enable you and to empower your walk and your work and your witness for the glory of God. Hey, listen, may God use you. Because, you see, that's His desire. May God bless you this morning. And may God use you for His glory. You've been listening to the Chapel Hour coming to you from the campus of Bob Jones University. Our speaker was Reverend Mike Reddick, evangelist with International Baptist Missions in Singapore. For a cassette or compact disc copy of today's message, send a check for $6 to Campus Store, Bob Jones University, Greenville, South Carolina, 29614. Be sure to mention the name of the speaker and today's date. The Chapel Hour has been sponsored by Bob Jones University.